Hello to everyone from ASPA, the American Society of Public Administration in South Florida. Uh, I am Tom Holtz, and I am the host of the regular ASPA monthly podcast uh, regarding best practices in public administration in uh, the uh, in the business world, state, federal, and local government, as well as public administration, as well as in academe, research and administration. And we have a very, very special guest star. But before we introduce him, let's introduce our regulars. Uh, Bill Solomon is smiling at us, which is a very rare, he's in a rare good mood uh, today. So let's catch him while he's at it. He's shaking his head. Hi, Bill. Well, hi, Tom. Um, I look forward to this. I've known uh, our special guest for many, many years, and uh, he provides a wealth of knowledge to our listeners. We're very happy. I'm retired. I retired from the county 37 years ago. I'm a, an attorney in the state of Florida, and I've been involved with the American Society for Public Administration for now 41 years. And I'm on the local ASPA South Florida chapter board. And with that, I leave it to you. And he doesn't look a day over 110, everybody. Uh, and Ben Paley is our other co-host. Ben, now you can put your mic on. And uh, Ben is a third-year law student, post-hoc ergo proctor hoc. Exactly. And uh, uh, say hi, Ben. Hi, Tom. Hi, Bill. Hi, special guest. Uh, great special- to be here again. Special guests, and we've been reserving this now. They, 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 they've learned their paces. They don't mention who it is until I do, which is a good thing. Terry Murphy, front and center. Terry Murphy, who is uh, an extremely distinguished uh, personage in, uh, in, in state uh, government in Florida. He's in the inspector general's office, and we're going to talk to him about that. He is an adjunct at the University of Miami, and it's actually Dr. Terry Murphy, uh, because he uh, earned his doctorate at FIU. Uh, but we'll call him Terry when nobody else is looking. And uh, Terry has uh, just been afforded the very great honor of representing us in at Aspen National and uh, for a three-year term and we wish Terry good luck. Terry, how you doing? Doing great. Thanks, Tom and Bill and Ben. Thanks for having me to, to uh, be a part of this podcast this evening. I think it's a, it's a great uh, program you've been running here for the Aspen South Florida chapter and, and it's a real honor that you've asked me to be a, a guest on the show. I, I enjoy listening to it, so I'm real Happy to be here with you all this evening. Well, we're glad we have at least one fan over there, uh, but and uh, and a, and a famous one actually. No, we do have some people listening to us now. <laughs> Can you believe it? It's actually a year since we started this. Uh, I'm, you know, how the time passes, uh, and uh, I am. Uh, I'm very, I'm very pleased to be a part of it, and of course, we're very pleased, Terry, to have you here. Uh, we're just as honored to have you here as uh, as you've indicated uh, regarding us. The feeling was definitely mutual uh, in terms of your background. And we want to get into that now. And my first question to you, Terry, is what made you decide to enter into uh, public administration? What turned you on and, and, and how did you run with it? Uh, actually, I mean, my entry into public administration was uh, through the political door. I, I originally came to South Florida while I was still a student at the University of Iowa. I came down to work on a political campaign when my brother was running for the uh, state house of representatives in Miami. He was elected in 82. And uh, when I graduated from the university of Iowa in 1983, I immediately headed down to South Florida because I had such a great time working the campaign down here. Uh, I thought this would be a fine place to live. So I moved down to South Florida But I didn't uh, jump into government service at all. I originally spent a number of years working in the design district. I worked uh, in an art gallery and I 
selling uh, artwork to uh, through uh, interior design and architectural firms, and had my first contact with the county as uh, working with a des designer that was redoing the uh, offices for the aviation director at Miami International. And Dick Judy had uh, purchased a lot of artwork from me and we were, uh, you know, redoing their executive offices. And uh, that was my first initial contact with county government. And then I also uh, at one point did a, a ship, the Sovereign of the Seas came into the port of Miami and I oversaw the uh, installation of all the artwork on the new ship when it first came into Miami. So I had a little bit of engagement with government, but it, with the county government, but it was kind of indirectly because I was working in the art business. But uh, in 1988, uh, my, I have an older, I have two brothers. I mean, my brother, Tim, that was elected to the state house. And then I had another brother, Tom, who was, uh, came into South Florida just visiting uh, on kind of a leave of absence before he assumed a new position in California. And he was, while he was here, there was a political campaign going on. And one of my brother's friends from the legislature was running for the county commission. And uh, so uh, while Tom, my brother Tom, while he was here, he uh, worked on the, the commissioner's campaign. And so uh, Larry Hawkins was elected in 1988. And uh, he called up my brother, Tim, saying, where's Tom? I need somebody to work in my office. And he said, well, Tom went back to California. He said, but uh, I got another brother here in Miami. Maybe you want to meet with him. <laughs> and so, so I never worked on his campaign. I didn't know anything about county government, really, other than through my accounts selling artwork to uh, the, the airport director. So, I mean, of course, I'd, I've been reading the papers since I've been in South Florida and, and aware of, you know, this massive county government they had down there. But uh, so I interviewed with uh, Larry Hawkins and uh, I think it was on, on a Friday or Saturday at his house. And uh, he said, look, um, maybe downtown on Monday morning, you know, the job's yours. And it was kind of like I had to I had to give notice to everybody that I was you know leaving immediately because he was being sworn in and, and taking office next week. So uh, I showed up, met with him downtown on a Monday, and at the end of our you know orientation with all these directors and the county manager and staff that were coming through, uh, there was these two binders of material, and and uh, Commissioner Hawkins gave them to me and said. Uh, now, on Tuesday, when we come down here, I'm going to have to vote on everything in those binders. So read through all that and let me know how I should vote. <laughs> and so I took those binders home and stayed up all night long with a uh, you know, highlighter and, and, and tabs and making notes, read through all these items. I had no idea what I was dealing with. I mean, there was special taxing districts. There was waiver of plats. There was all kinds of I wasn't even familiar with the language of this. And, and I, I read through it all and, and put questions on, on the documents and, and the ordinances that were being passed. I had a whole list of questions on, on the prime legislation, a lot of resolutions urging different things I didn't think were very important, but I made notes on all this. And so I, I, I stayed up all night and I went to the office. I was there at eight o'clock and Commissioner Hawkins called me at the office, he was still at his house. And he said, well, let's go through this. And he had one of those, you know, car phones at the time, would, or, or wasn't even a car phone, it was a big brick, you know, you carry on your shoulder. But I, I think that's how it worked, or he just called me from home. And I don't, I don't recall the details exactly. But he asked me, he said, did I get through all this information? I said, yeah. He said, well, how, how do we do it? And I said, well, uh, I gave him a briefing over the phone about 20, 30 minutes and said, you know, I think you should vote for this. You ask questions on this. You got notes on it, he said. And I said, yeah. So he said, fine. He meets me downtown. We roll into the chambers. The stack of material, you know, with all my notes and tabs and all that are, are in front of him. And he goes through the whole thing and the whole meeting, asked all these questions I had written and, and uh, was pretty happy with, with the work I had done and preparing him for it and the verbal, you know, review I gave him. He said, great, that works fine. You know, uh, that's how we're going to run that. 
And from then on, you know, I mean, I became like, you know, his legislative guy. So everything he had to vote on, I had to review. Mm. And this went on. It was like a, uh, and then zoning at the time was another big issue. Land use issues in South Florida were, uh, this was before what they have, the Jennings rule now doesn't allow these ex parte communications before these hearings. But when I was uh, first came into County Hall, that was standard procedure. So every zoning lawyer in town called the commission offices for meetings before the meetings. And you had to sit with them in the conference room and they'd give you the whole presentation on a land use decision to me. And then I would tell Larry, the, my commissioner, like, well, this one, I, I don't think it's a good project. I mean, I don't think we should vote for it. You know, here's the staff recommendations. This is what the lawyers said, you know, and I'd give my briefing on that. And, and so I became like schooled in all this land use stuff by, by virtue of the position. And so at the end of the day, I mean, I didn't really know much about county government, but I was in a position to learn a lot. Yeah. I was in a position to learn from everybody because yeah. then when, once I had like time, you know, you typically get these packets, you know, four days in advance. I would take the packets and then I would call all the directors to ask questions that I had. And it became like these directors, it became, you know, kind of like the school of Miami-Dade for me. And the directors would give me their views and, and educate me as to why these policies made sense that they were trying to get passed and explain what, you know, the procurement, you know, that was going on why they needed to buy these things, you know, because who knew that we needed to buy, you know, 8 million pounds of polymer flocculent, you know, for water and sewer. I mean, I, you know, I didn't even know what we were buying. What is this stuff? You know, but, oh, you need this for the process at the end, you know, at the plants. And so it was like, I felt like I was going to school when I got this job. It was like, you know, and everyone, at the time, you know, these were countywide elected commissioners. They, they were elected countywide. They needed more votes to get elected to a county commission seat than to Congress. You know, I mean, Miami-Dade has about four congressional representatives. But at the time, these countywide elected commissioners needed the whole countywide vote. So these people, you know, the, the staff was very deferential to these commissioners. And, and by extension, because I was the guy that was recommending the last word on how to vote, I was given a lot of uh, access to all these department directors. And it became a, just a fascinating world for me. I was so intrigued by everything Miami-Dade did. Back yeah. then it was Dade County, it wasn't Miami-Dade County, it was Dade County. But Dade County, Metropolitan Dade County was such a fascinating government. And it still is to this day because it does just about everything local government can imagine, you know, from running airports and seaports to running parks departments to water and sewer to solid waste disposal, parks and recreation, you know, to, you know, beach renourishment programs, golf courses, uh, water quality, air quality. Everything and building, you know, I mean, all the uh, building codes here in South Florida and such, all of that is local government policy generated by, you know, the county commission, by Miami-Dade County government. And for me, it's just been a fascinating, lifelong learning opportunity, you know, hearing from these professional administrators that I was so impressed with. I, you know, I'll tell you one story. I, I one of the first constituent cases I had was a group of people coming in from, there's an area in Dade County called the eight and a half square mile. And it's way out in the agricultural area down south. And, and it was uh, an area that a lot of people had properties out there and they built homes and they were complaining to the commissioner saying, you know, we can't even get our streets paved. There's no sidewalks, there's no drainage. And, and, the, and, you know, I met with all these people. And so I thought, well, this is horrible. I mean, the county should do something about this. And I remember calling the public works director to come down and explain why the public works department refused to do any services for these people. And Walter Herndon was the director at the time. 
And he came in and he said, I will not lift a finger for those people. And I'm like, what did they do? Why, you know, why? And he explained to me how most of those properties had been built illegally. They didn't pull permits. They had no rights to construct, prop, you know, homes and residential property, you know, on these land out there. He said they were illegal. There was no permits. And so I learned all of a sudden from Walter Herndon, the entire, uh, you know, codes for building codes and, and, you know, why you have to abide by the rules and regulations promulgated by the departments. And so, I mean, I'm just telling you, this is like just lifelong learning for me at Miami-Dade County. This is uh, an amazing story in terms of how you just fell into it. And uh, you were literally, it was like a learning lab for you. Uh, from, you know, from what, from, from what I can see. Uh, Bill, you had something that you wanted to talk to uh, Terry about, and I'm going to put you on now for that. Okay. Dr. Murphy, you've had a diverse career with positions working for elected officials, serving in private business, as well as positions in county government. What career path suggestions would you have for students that choose public service as a career? Well, I tell you what, I'm always impressed with students that have made a, a career decision essentially by getting into the field of public administration as uh, undergraduates or as grad students. Uh, I think having the, the foresight that they want, they know they're going in that direction I mean, I, I'm, I'm impressed that they're, I, I never had that foresight. I, I gotta admit, I mean, when I was, when I was a young academic, my, my field of studies was the American Studies program at the University of Iowa, uh, general Bachelor of Arts degree. And, and I did not have a specific calling at the time that I was responding to. So I was students that have taken the step toward public service as an undergraduate or, or as a graduate student. I mean, I, I let them know. I said, well, you got a head start on anything, you know, I did. You know, and I'm glad to see that they're pursuing the field because the truth is, I mean, the opportunities in the public sector are tremendous. And every career field that you think, you think of in the private sector is available in the public sector. You know, so I... I tell people, I mean, if, they, if they've had the wisdom to jump into this field early, you have a bright future ahead because the entire, you know, uh, course is available to you for your life, you know, in this field of public administration. And, and I, do, I do everything I can to encourage them to stay on the path, you know, because I, I think the prospects and the opportunities are there for any, any talented young person that, that has a desire to serve in the public service field. You know, but but uh, I mean, the, the my own path into this, like I like I said, I mean, it, it was not exactly planned. It, it came to me and uh, along the way. And I tell you what, when I I'm get him. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> no, what was I've that? I got though? a big dog here that's barking. <laughs> I can't hear your dog, but I heard you. <laughs> I couldn't hear him either. Don't worry about it. He's a quiet dog. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, and we do animal services at Dade County, too. So, <laughs> but a nice, anyway. that was a nice slide in there of that one, Terry. It's a good one. <laughs> okay. But what I in my own path, though, in terms of the academic studies, I got to tell you, because I was always asking, you know, people in the budget office, all kinds of questions about things like how do you. Uh, formulate what the millage ought to be when you know when you know how much revenue you need you know how does that millage calculation work and they would go through the whole process and explain to me you have to deduct out the CRA tax increment districts and all these type of things but I was always impressed with these people so much and then of course David Morris when he was budget director he would explain the revenues that you know would be needed based on regression analysis Wow. which at the time I had no idea what he was talking about. So I thought 
I need to learn about these things so I can compete with these people. I mean, in the budget office and understand what they're talking about. And so I entered the master's program at, uh, at FIU mainly so I could, you know, have a, a competitive edge with these professional public administrators in government. So I earned my master's degree as, as a way of, of being a better staff person to the elected officials because I needed to understand the language that was being spoken by these professional administrators. Perfect way. Perfect you know, way. so, I mean, I, I encourage people, you know, to have that master's degree, you know, earning that master's degree is a, is a, a key, you know, indicator of your interest in the field to begin with. And plus, I mean, just to really, you know, hone your skills and be a good administrator, you really do need to understand, you know, all, all the, uh, the tricks of the trade in terms of budgeting and procurement and, and to master some of these, uh, you know, different subject matters in your, master, in your, in your program is, is a way to make sure that you're individually competitive to, to progress in your uh, career path. Well, I think that's very important in terms of the fact that, you know, when when you when you differentiate between private sector and public sector, uh, you know, private sector is is governing their own company, but public sector is governing the people, and governing uh, and governing the various departments that help make life for the general populace better. And that's a, that's something that I don't think is always realized or remembered uh, by people who are, uh, especially today, that are looking at government and saying, "Well, what's in it for me? What are they doing? You know, what are they doing for me?" And it's an extremely extremely complex endeavor. Um, I, didn't I, kinda, realize- I, I tell my students a lot of times when I'm doing like intro to public administration. I mean, I actually go through a review of the, the common precepts of the world religions, you know, and, and in just about every, uh, you know, whether, whether it's Muslim or, or Jewish or, or Christian and all the, the major faiths. And there's always a expression, you know, within Islam and, and all the faiths that there's a uh, kind of a mantra about serving your neighbor and and treating people other people with dignity and so as an article of faith i mean if you're trying to give expression to your to your beliefs i mean i think the public sector you know has a a whole career for you where you find you know meaning in life and meaning in what you're doing and and even if you're not a non-believer i mean for those of us or for those of uh the audience that are that are uh, atheist or, or humanist and and don't you know, necessarily align or adhere to a, a particular religion, I mean, people that are that believe in the here and now. I mean, you want to make things better right now on Earth, you know. So I mean, it's it's also kind of in their mission to make life better by treating people well and to you know respect the dignity of others. And so I think, you know, from kind of a belief perspective, no matter what your beliefs are, entering into the public sector field, you know, into the public service gives you an opportunity to kind of live your life knowing that what you're doing is kind of a, an act or activating your belief system. So, I mean, I, I see that as, you know, and it's, in the private sector, there's a lot of that opportunity as well, and a lot of charitable operations that are conducted by corporations and stuff and, and corporate uh, giving back to the community and such. But the bottom line motivator in the private sector is, uh, you know, based on money. You know, it's like, I mean, you're trying to increase the bottom line. Mm-hmm. So, we, you know, we don't work in the public sector from a profit standpoint. We're not looking to enrich ourselves we're looking to enrich the community, I mean, and, and to better serve the community. But I do remind people that, you know, when I, when I was in the private sector, when I was working in that art gallery, sometimes the owner of the gallery would tell me to hold on to that check for a few days. <laughs> I've never had my government check, you know, bounce. But, you know, in the private sector, you take a little chance, you know, and, you, yeah. know sometimes, <laughs> you know, sometimes it doesn't work out. And which, you know, we saw in this last big recession, 
you know, people all of a sudden turned on the public sector like we were doing something wrong because we had jobs and paychecks when a lot of people were suffering during the recession and people were being laid off. All of a sudden it became like an attack on the public sector because people were not impacted immediately by the recession. And, and it's kind of like, well, wait a minute. You know, we're not impacted during the recession, but, you know, during those times when the stock market's going through the roof and everybody's making commissions and sales, you know, and, and living high, you know, we're not making any more money than what we're making, you know, at, than, you know, during the recession. So it's kind of like, it's a more of an even keel, uh, you know, economic plan in life. You know, when you're working in the public sector, you don't have those peaks and valleys, Right. You do have the rewards of, of public service throughout. Bill. Yes, Bill. Oh, sorry. Hi. Um, I would love to hear you talk about your affiliation with the American Society for Public Administration Took and how that now. ties into everything else you've been doing. Um, because you've been involved for a long time locally, regionally, and nationally. And I've done the same. So I, I want to hear your thoughts about how that helps, you know, others get involved or helps, you know, get things done. As well as how well, you got into it. Yeah, I mean, I tell you, I mean, ASPA, I mean, the reason I got into it is I, when I entered the master's program uh, in, the, in the late 90s at FIU is when I first heard of ASPA. And, and Roz, I mean, Roz Alec Batson, our, our current president of the South Florida chapter, actually recruited me. I mean, when I, when I, I think I may have inquired about it, and she immediately uh, had me as a board member with the South Florida chapter. And so she, she when I, I think I asked about it, and, that's, and then she said, oh, well, you ask, you serve. You know, so I immediately got involved with the ASP the chapter down here. And and I tell you, it, it is a, it's kind of a, a common home for anybody that's in, whether you're a public sector professional or an academic that, you know, I think, I think it's, it's home for you in the, in this field. And it's a professional organization that'll, that gives you all kinds of information at your fingertips. You know, when you're curious about different subject matter, you know, what's the best practices for, for, for uh, procurement or, or, or for uh, land use. Or, I mean, there's always resources within ASPA, you know, to look up and find, you know, what the, what the latest and greatest is in terms of, you know, methodology and practices. But I really think it's the network within ASPA that makes a difference. And, and knowing people, I mean, there's always been assistant county managers and, and, and county managers involved, directors involved, and, and it's an opportunity for people to network and get to know the professionals in the field and also to get to know, you know, the academic leaders in the field as well. I mean, we have the honor of, of, of having some, you know, the, the top staff from the uh, Florida International, from University of Miami that, are, that have been active in ASPA all along and encouraging their students to get involved. And I, I tell my students, you know, this is a, by having ASPA membership on your resume, it's a way to indicate you have a true interest in the field. So, I mean, it sets you apart. When you're looking for the, your first job to get into the public sector, having a membership in ASPA is an indicator that you're for real, that you've, you know, you've been studying the field, your, your master's degree or your, or your bachelor's degree you know, comes with a level of interest and, and, uh, and, and focus that sets you apart. And I think, you know, membership in organizations is a tough sell these days, but I think the membership in ASPA, because of all the information that's available to you, uh, the online resources with public administration review, with the conferences, the Southeastern Conference of Public Administration, as well as our local we have the local American Society for Public Administration Best Practices uh, Conference that our chapter hosts. And then there's the national conference, which brings together academics and practitioners from around the country and around the world uh, to the uh, annual conference. And that's always an exciting place to be, you know, to meet the people that are being celebrated in the field, 
and to hear from uh, leading federal administrators and, and, and public officials uh, wanting to speak to the ASPA group and, and appreciate the fact that the membership in this group is, is uh, such a diverse uh, group of people all focused on improving the administration of, of public sector policy. I agree with you. Great I, I agree with you, Terry. And uh, it not only is it uh, and uh, Ben is champing at the bit, but I, before he before he asks his questions, I do want to say that also uh, you don't just have to get into ASPA uh, at the beginning. You can get in later in your career. I mean, I got into it 20 years ago when I was going for my master's and I did a paper uh, and uh, then, uh, then, you know, life happened. And then uh, almost 18 years later, once I moved down to Florida and I was looking to reconnect, I, uh, I found Aspa all over again. And and here and here in South Florida welcomed me, and and here I am now. So ASPA is not just for the beginners. ASPA is for the people that started with it, dropped it, then decided to pick it up again, or for the people who want to get into it later on. Ben, I am not going to have you waiting any longer. Ben is champing at the bit. He is uh, he was going to apply uh, certiorari to the Supreme Court, but he dropped that appointment to ask his questions. Ben, go ahead. Put your mic on. Thank you, Tom. As soon as I stop laughing, I'll be able to ask my question. That's quite but no, I, I, I agree with you um, and Bill completely and, and Terry as well on, on the benefits of, of uh, ASPA membership local and national. I, I think it's been very good for me uh, professionally and personally. Um, coming from a master's program, I joined afterwards, uh, but in law school, it's been very helpful. So I, I recommend it to people who are also looking to be involved um, as an attorney at the local government level or even in any agency. Um, Professor Murphy, my question is about your, your teaching. Um, how do you take your experience, um, your wide breadth of experience, which is just awe-taking, awe and apply it in the classroom? How how do you how do you do that? Well, I mean, I, I tell you, it's it's funny. I, I often kind of weave in strange pictures and and see if they realize it's me in the picture. You know, when 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 different things have happened here in in uh, Miami. I mean, things like, uh, uh, you know, I talk about Richard Nixon a lot uh, <laughs> in, in, the, in the classes. You know, I always have him waving goodbye at the end of my lectures. Uh, but, but at one time, I actually met Richard Nixon while working as uh, I, was, I was the lead staff person to the Health and Human Services Committee. And Nixon was coming down to visit the uh, Miami Project here in Miami. He was a big fundraiser. He was, he led the annual fundraiser for the Bonacani family and the, the Miami project to cure paralysis. And so he came down to see the facilities and because I was staffed to the chair of the committee, we were invited to help him with the tour at Jackson. Actually ended up in a hallway with Nixon and, and commissioner Hawkins and I, and the night before I bought some books, you know, that he had written from a local bookstore and pulled him out of my briefcase while I was alone with him, the commissioner, and, and asked him to autograph these books. <laughs> but so, I mean, you know, the fact that you get to meet, you know, people like the president of the United States, I mean, I, and I, I've been with, uh, I've rode in the uh, motorcade with, with Bill Clinton when he was president down here on Labor Day after Hurricane Andrew. Um, I've, I went to the presidential task force briefings all the time during Hurricane Andrew recovery that they used to have at the airport and, and met Secretary Andrew Card at the time was uh, heading up that program for President Bush then. And I often weave in these stories. Of, I mean, Hurricane Andrew was, was probably the largest recovery effort. You know, we were devastated down here. And that was a an immense undertaking of federal resources that came in. I, I, I recall in a meeting in Homestead in their city hall down there, sitting around the conference room table, Commissioner Hawkins was a former army lieutenant. And so he was totally enjoying the fact that 
we had something like 26 stars, I counted, you know, around the table. All these generals that were down here, it was, I mean, they had 10th Mountain Division, the 82nd Airborne, all these generals were, you know, vying for uh, the commissioner's attention, asking him what they are to do. So it was like, we were giving orders to all these generals, which was hilarious, you know? So, you know, I mean, and Lieutenant Hawkins was taking pure joy in it, you know? But uh, so we had a whole laundry list of things we wanted them to do and they took care of it. I mean, you know, street signals were down everywhere. They had to man all the intersections and these things. But I, I relay stories often about, you know, the, the amazing things that county people do in, the, in these times of crisis. I mean, there was another storm we had where the power was knocked out in South Florida for days on end, and we needed to have uh, uh, chemicals for the water treatment plant. And all the railroad crossings were down, you know, the power was out. And so they, the Miami-Dade Police Department coordinated with uh, the sheriffs of Palm Beach and Broward and did an air-escorted uh, helicopter you know, over a train, flying it down during the night, uh, flying over the train and coordinating the communications on the ground to have uh, patrol cars stop the intersection so the trains could go by. And they had to do this for like three trains before they got the chemicals they needed into South Florida because the trains are all backed up on the lines. So, I mean, this kind of logistics work that goes on in the middle of the night you know, in order to bring chemicals in to keep your water drinkable throughout the power outages and, and storm, you know, aftermath. Is, I mean, these kind of things that happen on a, just a routine basis, they're, they're not routine, they're emergency operations, but these are people trained to do this and, and just put their expertise on the line and make things happen. And so I'm always like activating my lectures when we start talking about, you know, uh, how do you implement implement public administration programming, well, you do it, you know, with skill and professionalism. And, and it's an amazing tribute to, uh, you know, the field that I can draw on examples right and left right here in Miami-Dade County whenever I need to have an example. We've always done amazing things. I mean, the most recent thing was probably, uh, I mean, I think we're the only community known to have stamped out Zika you know, the spread of uh, Zika. I mean, Alina Tejeda-Hudak, now manager of Miami Beach, as the assistant county manager or what, whatever her position was at the time, she was the manager, I think. But, I mean, she stepped on the Zika thing huge. I mean, by coordinating all the talent from CDC with the public health departments, you know, with all the uh, having to navigate all the issues with what kind of chemicals to spray and when to spray. People were concerned about it affecting their dogs and their plants and whatever. But she had to navigate all that minefield and, and come up with the right recommendations. And it took care of the problem. I mean, we, we were able to put the Zika thing away. And, and you know, the you know, mosquitoes were, were put down. And now we have rebuilt the mosquito division within, it's now in the public works department or whatever that department is, you know, that needs to be renamed. But I mean, the, uh, you know, the, this kind of work goes on every day in South Florida. And so there's lots of examples. So Ben, whenever I'm teaching public administration, you'll see lots of slides, lots of examples and, and, I, and storytelling that I do to like make it come alive. So it's not just, you know, you're reading how to pull a budget together. Well, sometimes you're, you're, you're putting together a budget because you're coming out of a crisis. And how do you, how do you uh, make best use of federal assistance dollars, federal resources, state resources, and keep your, you know, your basic budget intact? So there's real life examples of it all the time. And, you know, the fact that the pandemic that we're going through now I mean, the federal government, you know, essentially wrote our budget for us, you know, in, in Miami-Dade County so that, you know, you didn't hear any calls for raising taxes or anything because you didn't need to, you know. I mean, federal assistance essentially, you know, stepped in and made it possible for us to continue delivering our services with the airport, seaport staff. Nobody got laid off. You know, this, this has been an amazing thing where the federal government came in and shored up local government operations. 
So we are, we have always, you know, countless uh, examples to give whenever uh, lecturing on on public administration in South Florida. The that's just line. that's just amazing. Yeah, uh, the I mean, I, I want to see that Nixon photo, the one you were talking about, not the one at the end, but the 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 one where you got to meet him. Oh, I want to okay. see that. I know that that was kind of. I mean, I tell you, that's what I love about this. I mean, after Hurricane Andrew, I remember going up to the the Pentagon and and at the time meeting with Secretary of Defense Dick Cheney. You know, I mean, he and Larry Hawkins and I sitting at a table. I mean, what? I mean, that's just kind of weird, you know. But but you got to do all these things. But you know, uh, you know, just being there is, you know, it's kind of enjoyable when it's happening, you know, just to look around the room and go, wow, you know, these are some important people here. <laughs> Sorry to cut you off there, Tom. I just wanted to say that. No, that's fine. Um, the, the bottom line is, is that, and, you know, in my experiences being an adjunct in business communications uh, at Stephen F. Liston State University Online in uh, Texas, and uh, experience. There's nothing like bringing experience into the into the classroom, whether it's I whether it's uh, the traditional platform delivery or online, uh, to kind of uh, kind of open up the eyes uh, of, of the students. Uh, in um, in a recent example, I mean, I was doing. Uh, you know, personnel interviewing, and I found uh, a clip from the first episode of the Mary Tyler Moore Show, uh, and most of you remember that. Ben may remember that, uh, but uh, that had to do with lose uh, Mary, the Mary character applying for a job, and it was a perfect uh, interview. It was a perfect mockery of an interview situation where Lou Grant is drunk, offers her a drink, answers questions about her religion, her uh, whether she's married. Uh, you know, uh, um, will uh, then uh, says, uh, well, the the secretary instead of the secretary job that you came in for, I want you to be an associate producer. I'm going to pay you less money. And so this is this was this was per the kids loved it. This was absolutely perfect. So I know exactly what Terry's talking about. Uh, you know, there's nothing like the experiential modality uh, to you know to to, to, to just take take it out of the sterile uh, ivory tower academic atmosphere and bring it into the real world because that's what they're really going in for, whether it's personnel or it's public administration, and uh, and I think it's a, and, and I think Terry, your well, your career speaks for itself in terms of the uh, various ways, and even if you got into it by accident, thank thank the gods that you did. Because uh, you, uh, you you've really given a lot to you've really given a lot to the field, and uh, I, I'd much rather see you in there than private industry, frankly. Well, I tell you what, Tom, I, I've enjoyed it immensely, and and even you know working for elected officials, you know, I, the best thing when you're working for an elected official is to run unopposed, and I had the honor of having that happen twice. I remember, I mean, we're, and, you know, getting unopposed was like a, an endorsement. You didn't have to go through the campaign. You get another term, you know, but then I've also worked for commissioners that were defeated uh, and then you're out of office and you're looking for something to do. Uh, you know, the, I had one commissioner I was with, it was recalled from office. You know, this, this is a, you know, tragic thing that happened to her because it was really directed at the mayor, but she got on the ballot too. So, I mean, it was, it was a, an unfortunate thing, but at each one of those moments, though, I always, I always maintain a positive attitude that, well, this is happening, but, you know, let's see what's next and keep learning, you know, learn, learning from it at each time one of these things happens. You know, when, it, when the, the last big disruption happened is when I uh, finished my dissertation, was able to get my doctorate. So, you know, it was an interruption in my career, but it was kind of timely because I'd done all the coursework on the PhD, but I hadn't yet done the dissertation. So I was able to finish my dissertation and then, you know, run. I, I had a private uh, business I was running for a while as a consultant to labor unions and such and uh, helped them with a lot of their uh, collective bargaining, which I had wow. studied in my master's program and was able to put to use as a consultant uh, working with the labor unions trying to restore their 
uh, health pay cuts they had received. And so I was able to continue, you know, working in the same field while I was outside county government. But then I came back into county government again and uh, worked for the chairman of the county commission, John Monestine, uh, for a couple of years as his policy advisor, putting together a whole prosperity agenda, which uh, was, was very enjoyable. And then after his chairmanship was over, I was out again, but I came back in to the inspector general's office, which I've now been with the inspector general's office for uh, going on five years. And the inspector general in Dade County is a fascinating office also, because I get to, uh, I've always enjoyed getting information when you're working on staff to a county commissioner you know, the departments are fairly responsive and provide you with information when you're asking for it. It's a different thing, though, when you're in the inspector general's office and you ask for information because it comes with a, a little more speed. It's great. You know, you get that information when you ask for it because <laughs> it's required <laughs> that yep. they provide it. It's in the code. So yep. I, I get access to information a lot faster now, a lot more information. And I had to be discreet with all this information, of course, but I continue to learn things about Dade County, you know, even after all my years of service with this new position in the inspector general's office where we're working on procurement and, and, uh, and program implementation, contract administration. So it's a continual learning process. This whole life we have in the public sector, mm -hmm. I tell you, it, it's not a, it, there's nothing routine about it. It's not a chore. It's not a task that you repeat and do over again the next day the same way. That's right. It's ever changing because we're ever responding to the community's you know needs for new and better services and different services. So I encourage students. I mean, if they've if they've taken a look at the public sector, I tell them to keep focused on it because it's a career that's rewarding interesting and and uh it's very much self-satisfying you know when you when you've been able to do work that you see has changed people's lives i mean on a legislative side i am so happy you know that to have been a part of passing the living wage law in south florida i mean we got that law passed in 1997 and I know for a fact, you know, the janitorial staff, the landscapers, now the people at the airport that are benefiting from that living wage policy, that changes people's lives. I mean, their kids can, you know, maybe go to, you know, community college instead of working to help support the family because there's enough income coming in that they can get to community college. So generationally, you lift people when you do these kind of things. And that living wage law continues to this day to provide benefits. I've been, you know, with wage theft laws, we've, we passed that, we did uh, family leave. Miami-Dade County was the first jurisdiction in the country to have family leave yeah. on the books. Wow. And I did that with Commissioner Hawkins. I mean, we wow. passed that. I remember him getting featured in the New York Times for passing that on the local level. Wow. wow. You know, so I mean, there, there's been a lot of things that I've been associated with and around. And, and I tell you, I'm just, Always impressed with Miami-Dade County government and all the professional administrators that work for it. And it's been a delight, a great career to have. And, and I hope I'm going to have a few more years to enjoy it. So. I hope so, too. And of course, you're going into national now uh, to uh, serve them for three years. And I can appreciate your uh, inspector general job uh, because before I got into personnel, I was a senior investigator at the New York State Medical Board. So what you did with procurement, I did with bad, with, uh, bad physicians and right. investigated uh, sexual abuse of patients, um, negligence incompetence, uh, impaired physicians, and so forth. Fascinating job, absolutely fascinating job. And the bottom line is, you're helping. You're you're helping. Um, in that case, in my case, you're maintaining the public health. In your case, you're maintaining uh, the uh, integrity of the procurement standards uh, and the codes. 
And uh, so they're both very, very rewarding careers in e each and of its own uh, ilk, so to speak. We're kind of running down now. So uh, do you have any last words? Uh, not to be the last word, because Terry, we'd like to invite you back sometime if you would so uh, be inclined, uh, maybe after a little while on the job, and you can tell us what's going on. But for now, do you have anything uh, uh, to tell our uh, to tell our public before we uh, before we sign? Off. Uh, well, I would first. I just want to thank you and Tom and 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 Bill and Ben for inviting me to be on the show. Um, I, I'm I'm delighted to be a part of ASPA, and and I would like to once the uh, uh, the national conference in Jacksonville, I'll I'll be sworn into my position now as a member of the national council of ASPA. I want to thank Bill. I know Bill had a hand in making that happen with his friends at Sacopa and. And I'll be representing the southeastern uh, part of the United States on, on the National Council. So I'm looking forward to that and working with Alan Rosenbaum, who's Good our morning. president of the uh, yes, national organization and also my former uh, committee chair on my dissertation. So ah. you know, I'm always working for Alan, you know, and so, you know, so <laughs> it'll be a delight to come back and let you know what's happening with National ASPA. Great. But I just want to thank all the all the listeners and the members of the South Florida chapter and, and the future members of the chapter. Uh, I encourage everyone to get engaged with ASPA and to to continue to be a part of uh, making life better for everyone in South Florida through your contributions and the public service. Thank you so much. Once again, Terry, for uh, it's an excellent diatribe, and uh, it is. It, I only wish we had more time. I would have liked to have listened to this for another hour. Uh, Bill is raising his thumb in salute, uh, and uh, I just see Ben's picture, so I'm not going to say anything. But uh, that's right. There he goes. There's his thumb too. Okay, so you've all got a thumbs up, Terry. Three thumbs up, Terry. Absolutely, uh, and. And on behalf of ASPA uh, South Florida, uh, we are now signing off. Bill, say goodbye. Goodbye and Happy New Year, everybody. That's right. Ben, put your mic on again. Say goodbye Sign and Happy New Year, everyone. Trying to die from Ben. And all the best in 2022. Absolutely. Thank you all for participating. And we look forward to giving you another great presentation next month. Please look for it. Take care now. Good and have a good night.